the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Answer. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. Excuse me. It is the Bob France Authority. Good morning to you. Thank you so very much for joining us as we get underway at seven minutes past the hour of nine o'clock on this free for all Friday morning, the seventh morning of the month of December of the year of our Lord, 2018. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The United States was at peace with that nation, and at the solicitation of Japan, was still in conversation with its government and its emperor looking toward the maintenance of peace in the Pacific. Indeed, one hour after Japanese air squadrons had commenced bombing in the American island of Oahu, the Japanese ambassador to the United States and his colleague delivered to our Secretary of State a formal reply to a recent American message. And while this reply stated that it seemed useless to continue the existing diplomatic negotiations, it contained no threat or hint of war or of armed attack. It will be recorded 
that the distance of Hawaii from Japan makes it obvious that the attack was deliberately planned many days or even weeks ago. During the intervening time, the Japanese government has deliberately sought to deceive the United States by false statements and expressions of hope for continued peace. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to American naval and military forces. I regret to tell you that very many American lives have been lost. I ask that the Congress declare that since the unprovoked and dastardly attack by Japan on Sunday, December 7th, 1941, a state of war has existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire. 2,403, to be precise, when President Roosevelt declared that many, many lives had been lost. At the time, of course, he did not know the number. History, of course, has taught us all the numbers. The number of military killed, the number of civilians killed. What that date meant, what that event meant in the course of American history and world history. It launched us into the Second World War. I, um, being a relatively younger person, meaning that I was not alive, um, December 7th, 1941, I've never given the, the proper coverage and respect and time to the Pearl Harbor attacks on this radio program uh, the way that I have the 9-11 attacks. Because, of course, I I lived through that. I watched it. I felt it. I mourned through it the way the rest of America and much of the world did. Uh, but every year on 9-11, I do an entire 9-11 commemorative show. And I spend a great deal of time talking about feelings and emotions about where we were that day and where we have come since then. We talk about the lost lives of nearly 3,000 Americans, and uh, 3,000 people, I should say, the vast majority Americans, and 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 we do that, but we, those of us again, who were not alive to experience and understand what it felt like for Pearl Harbor, all we can do is imagine. Yeah, we've listened to our elders. Yeah, we've listened to those. Uh, you know, where were you when Kennedy was killed? Where were you when Pearl Harbor happened? For those who, uh, who were alive then, and we we've tried to gather what what we could from them, in terms of uh, of of the the shock to the national senses, but it's different. It's different when, A, you didn't see it and experience it for yourself live like we did in Living Color on 9-11-2001. It's different in that regard. And it's also different because we're talking about 77 years. The passage of time tends to diminish the uh, impact of what happened on that date. And, and that's just because we're human and we're, 
we fail. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're people who continue to live new experiences with each and every passing year. And with new experiences, filling our senses, all of them, uh, the things that happen, well, you know, many, many, many decades ago, even if we are students of history, tend to lose a little bit of their impact. I, I don't want that to be the case anymore. That's why I started the show today with that speech and with a bit of a tribute to, uh, to those who suffered and whose families or ancestors suffered uh, during Pearl Harbor and to really, quite frankly, the nation, again, which was launched into a horrible war and obviously a war we had to fight on two fronts in two theaters uh, as a result of that cowardly attack. And um, I want to pay it its due respect today. Uh, I'm not going to do a whole show on this. I just wanted to say this at the st- start of the show. Uh, when when President Roosevelt said it was a day that shall live in infamy, I want it to. I want it to be remembered, obviously, for uh, its horror, for its terror. I just don't think that's the kind of thing we should ever forget, even if we didn't have, even if we had to study it to remember it. Even if those of us who didn't experience it had to just become historians or at least learn from actual historians so that we can understand what that was like and how that impacted this country. I've often talked about what it must have felt like for the passengers on the planes that hit the buildings on 9-11. I've often talked about what it must have been like for those trapped on floors after the impacts in the World Trade Center. I've talked about if anybody was looking out the window of the South Tower when that second plane came, or the, or the North Tower when the first one came. What did that feel like? And I've, I spend that time on 9-11 talking about those personal human experiences, and I just feel like, Although there's no one to talk to about it, who is there, but what was it like looking up at the sky as all of those Japanese uh, planes came, dropping bombs, uh, uh, flying uh, deliberately into uh, the the naval base, into the ships, kamikaze style, all of the different things that happened. The torpedo, torpedo bombers. And more, um, you know, I, I, I try to put myself in their shoes and in their positions to truly understand what that day was like. And so, again, it's 77 years. It's a long time. It's an awfully long time. And I just want to ensure, and I'll wrap it with this so that we can get on with the business of the day, but I just want to ensure that we give the same message to Pearl Harbor and those most directly impacted by it, and those as a nation impacted by it simply for being Americans. The same message that we gave after 9-11, what were the four words that were most often repeated after 9-11? I think nationally. I think the four words that were most often repeated were, we will never forget. It became a national mantra, motto, if you will, a credo. We will never forget 9-11. And, of course, we're only 17 years past 9-11, and I feel like, and I talked about this in September, it feels like a lot of people have forgotten. A lot of people don't recall uh, the horror of the day and its immediate aftermath. I want to be able to say about December 7, 1941, we will never forget. Even though most of us never experienced it 77 years ago, even though most of us did not 
uh, even if we were alive, some of our senior citizens right now who were alive during that time, maybe they were young children and didn't really understand the impact any more than young children uh, in 2001 understood the impact. So those of us who didn't experience it, and that's most of us, we have to study it, we have to learn from it, we have to watch videos of it, we have to read. It's important. It's important. And then suggest, no, then declare that what the president said will be accurate, that this day will live in infamy. It will never go away. It will never, ever leave our memories or be too far from our conscious thought when this day comes around. Let's say the same thing about December 7, 1941, that we have said about 9-11, September 11, 2001. We will never forget. God bless our military. God bless our Navy. God bless all of those who were killed, wounded, and the families of all of the above as well on December 7, 1941. Please mark Pearl Harbor today, Pearl Harbor Day today appropriately. Spend a moment or two thinking about it, as we often ask you to do, or every year we ask you to do, on 9-11. We do have a normal program coming up today. We've got a couple of very good guests. We've got a lot of important discussions to have with you. It is a free-for-all Friday, which means the phone lines will be open on any subject you wish to discuss, including Pearl Harbor. And we will indeed, I'm sorry, what was that, Airman? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Samuel, I'll tell you what, please ask that veteran to hold for me. We're going to get our check of traffic right here, and we'll come right back, and we'll take some phone calls on again this free-for-all Friday. And uh, we'll talk about World War II. We'll talk about Pearl Harbor Day, if you wish, and we'll talk about the news of the day as well. The phone lines are yours. Uh, Congressman Renacy will join us in about 15, 20 minutes, and uh, I look forward to hearing from you on AM 1420, The Answer. Back after this. That earlier problem on 271 southbound after 480 has cleared, but traffic is still a little heavy from Broadway. Now on Miles Road east of Northfield Road, a crash, and Pettibone Road at Cochrane Road. The accident there is still being cleaned up. And again, we do have the uh, scattered snow and icy conditions around the region. This report sponsored by Staples. Staples can save you time this holiday season. Have Staples print your custom holiday cards and invites for less. See what's in store this holiday at your local Staples. At your traffic update, I'm Rick Shrimp on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, and it's Bob France here for The Floor King, your one-stop shop for new carpet before the holidays. That's right. Having friends or family over for the holiday, get that new carpet installed before family comes in and treat them to beautiful new stain-proof carpet. It's the Anything Goes Christmas Sale. Free installation. Free on any Anything Goes carpet by Shaw, the industry's only no-crush, no-mat warranty. Get a new look at a new carpet and get free installation and 24 months at 0% interest to pay for everything if you order your new carpet by the 15th gives you actually 12 days they will guarantee installation before christmas at the floor king call now set up a free in-home estimate 216-640-5000 new carpet for the holiday it's not too late to get that carpet installed before christmas only from the floor king 216-640-5000 merry christmas from the floor king our prices will floor you Nine twenty-four. Now the Bob France Authority on a free-for-all Friday edition. Uh, thank you as so much for joining us. We will never forget 
That's what we all said after September 11, 2001, and many of us have kept that promise. I hope we continue to say the very same thing about December 7, 1941, even though most of us did not live through it. Study it, learn from it, and please never forget it. Spend a moment or two in prayer today for the 2,403 military and civilians who were killed in the horrific attack on Pearl Harbor 77 years ago today. I'm told I have a World War II veteran on the line, and I want to go to him post-haste. Matthew is calling from Medina Township on AM 1420, The Answer. Matthew, good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Bob. Thank you for letting me get on the air here. Uh, I was, uh, it was a Sunday morning, just like today. The sun was out. We were all up for church, getting ready for church, and uh, we had the radio on. And about 10 minutes to 8 in the morning, as my memory serves me, uh, the announcer broke in to announce that the Japs had bombed Pearl Harbor. Well, Bob, we were stunned. We, uh, we couldn't believe this. The understanding that I heard was that there was supposed to be an ambassador from Japan talking peace in Washington, but it never panned out. They stabbed us in the back. Well, then, after that, boy, I'll tell you, the people rolled up their sleeves. The first thing my mother did when she got, and was, I'm one of six children, so there was eight people living in that little house. We, uh, uh, she got a job. Uh, they converted everything into war plants. Uh, she worked at the Dobeckman Company, and it was on Fulton Road and uh, Monroe Avenue. She worked the third shift, that's the graveyard shift, mm-hmm. and she was sewing parachutes for the paratroopers all through that war. And I can say one thing about the women. They played a big part in World War II because the men were drafted. Uh, the spirit was so high, I didn't even wait to get drafted. We were. I went downtown to the federal building on my lunchtime. I went to Lincoln High School on Scranton Road, and we went down there and uh, we signed up to go, and I signed up to go to, to join the Navy. And... Uh, there you have it from there, and uh, uh, that was getting back to the ladies working all during the war. They, uh, that was the institution of the 10-minute coffee break, and uh, it was just uh, a different world then, and we weren't just, we were stunned, and then we got mad, and there was, we were saving uh, uh, fat drippings, and that was taken to the butcher shop. That was all used in for uh, um, incendiaries and in, in making bombs and things like that. That's what we were told. And, you know, scrap drives, tires, iron, anything we could get our hands on. And with school kids, too, we were taking the scrap to the schools, and then they were picking it up at the schools. So there you have it. I mean, it was a spirit in this country hasn't been the same since, and I don't think it ever will be. And they were playing, we played a lot of... Uh, uh, patriotic songs on the radio, and it was just the, the people were behind this war effort like you wouldn't believe, Bob. And uh, I'm a, from a, one of a, a military family. My brother, older brother was in the 4th Marine Division, and uh, uh, my brother Tom was in uh, Korea, and uh, my son, oldest son uh, was in the Navy for four years, and my grandson, who lives down the road from me, was in Iraq for two tours. And uh, I just wanted to thank you and all your staff for giving me the time 
to tell the people how it was in America 77 years ago. And uh, I don't see too good anymore, but I listen to the radio oh. a lot. Bob, God you stop you, you stop right there. Stop right there. Stop. Don't speak too good anymore. Are you kidding me? I could listen to you for hours, sir. I, that's why I didn't <laughs> want to interrupt you. I did not want to interrupt a word that you said. I am I'm in awe of you and your generation, and I will tell you, I have great appreciation for your entire family's legacy of service from your, your, your own ancestors to your progeny, as you just described. Uh, God bless you and your family. And I'll say this in response to some of what you said, Matthew. You know, you said that uh, this country was, was so united in the effort at that time, and it's never been the same since. Yeah, and, and I, 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 I fear that we never will be uh, lest we suffer an- unless we suffer another horrific national tragedy like that. It seems like the only thing that can bring people together in a true spirit of unity is shared grief and shared shock oh, and shared absolutely. sadness like we suffered uh, uh, on, on December 7th, 1941. And uh, um, I'm, I'm just I'm blown away by the story that you tell. And uh, and I really, really appreciate you sharing it. And God bless you. And thank you so much for your service, sir. And when they built, just before I hang up, the, the, when they build the bomber plant out there, what is it today? It's some kind of a exposition building. I can't think of the name of it. But uh, when they, I went to Lincoln High School on Scranton Road, and they uh, one of the bombers that they turned out was called Spirit of Lincoln. Wow. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, how about that? That's yeah, that that's kind of kind of a kind of a neat omen for you, or in, in honor of, of course, where you came from, uh, Matthew. Just God bless more. you, sir. Yeah, yeah, you got one more? Go ahead. I just got one more thing to say. Yes, sir. Uh, this is really ironic, too. Uh, I, my ship was the USS Prairie, and we were down in the Caroline Islands at that time. And that, that was called the Stepping Stone to Tokyo. It was a group of four islands. It was the Carolines, the Gilbert, the Marshalls, and the Marianas. I guess it must have been named after a family at that time. But anyhow, a man was transferred onto my ship, and his name was George Strongman. And George told me he was at Pearl Harbor the morning they were that we were bombed, and he survived it. Wow! And the only the only casualty that happened there, he was helping an admiral get up out of the barge and get onto the get onto the dock, and he slipped and fell and broke his leg. <laughs> I mean, that's it's funny, but it's not funny. But, no, uh, that's that, that, that the story that I can tell you about that. Like you said, we could talk for hours. And uh, uh, and I and amazing. I, you know what I, I I guarantee you, people would listen for hours too to listen to those tales and listen to everything and sh- the shared experiences that you all had to try to pass that on to these generations, like my own and and uh, and younger ones. Yet, uh, honestly, there's so much we can learn about uh, about that time from people like you. And I'm really glad that you called in to share that, Matthew. Thank you so much for oh, the call, yes, and more importantly, for your mind. service to our country. I thought you know sometimes that you know we forget, forget. Now when, when I was I was. I, as one, would never, ever, that's indelibilized in my head. So I, thank I can, you so much for the time. God bless America. And I hope that we're going to write this ship that we're on because it's kind of foundering in, in, in uh, heavy waters. It, so, is uh, an, it, is a, it is an honor to speak with you, Sailor. Thank you so much. 
That's Matthew, uh, Navy veteran, World War II from Medina. We're a little late to news. We'll get there now. Congressman Renacci on the other side, and then more of your phone calls on the Bob France Authority. Dot org. All right, 936 now. The Bob France Authority continues on AM 1420. The answer, thanks so much for joining us. We're about a minute and a half late coming to Congressman Jim Renacci as we uh, talk to our World War II veteran, Matthew, who uh, wanted to share his uh, recollections of December 7, 1941, and what prompted him to enlist in the Navy immediately thereafter. And Congressman Renacci, first of all, good morning. Second of all, I know you will appreciate and understand that. Well, absolutely, and again, uh, there is no one who uh, looks back and, and remembers our uh, our veterans as much, and 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 just really, is, I've supported them so much over the last eight years. Uh, as you know, anyone who's going to protect us over the years and go in and serve to protect our country and our freedoms, we need to take care of uh, today, tomorrow, and into the future. And that's very well said. Yeah, I was kind of more on the nostalgic turn. It's been 77 years and remembering the, you know, the shock and the horror of the day and remembering the loss of 2,403 Americans, uh, almost all of them military, but around 75 or so civilians, I think, were in that group as well. Uh, but you're right. Now let's look at today and all of those who enlisted and all of those who fought in that war and all of the subsequent wars, we do have to take care of our veterans today. And I know there are a lot of good people in Congress who are working on that. Not enough of them, quite frankly, because there are still far too many of them are homeless. There are still far too many of them who cannot afford proper medical care. And quite honestly, with the VA still having some issues, and I know the president and a lot of you in Congress have been working toward fixing those, then we will be able to, to, to truly do what it should be done, and that is to take care of those, uh, those heroes. Absolutely. And uh, again, I think it's, it's important, and uh, it's important that we continue to make sure the VA system is accountable and working uh, to take care of them as well. So, uh, again, another day to uh, think back and, and remember those who have served. Absolutely right. Congressman, let's turn to some of the news of the day. It was announced this week, obviously, that uh, a CR, continuing resolution, once again, it seems like we have this conversation pretty consistently. Uh, but, you know, and I understand they delayed the, uh, uh, you know, the deadline or pushed the deadline because of President George H.W. Bush's passing this week. And uh, we weren't getting a lot of time to get things done on, on uh, Capitol Hill because of that. But can you speak to the CR in pushing this thing to what is it? December 21st is the new deadline, I think is what it was. Well, Bob, one thing I can't speak of is on my way out after eight years, <clears> and we've gotten really good at kicking the can down the road. We wait till <laughs> the last minute. And, and we could say, and we can blame it on the president's funeral, but let's face it, this issue has been around for six months, and we wait until in the last six days. So, uh, you know, my colleagues and I, uh, I know they know I, uh, I speak out when necessary, and I've said this time and time again. This is just another kicking the can down the road. And I told you last week when we talked, and I'll confirm it, that I still believe what we'll end up doing is coming back in the next two weeks. By the way, why do we kick it two weeks? Why don't we just kick it a week? You know why? Because there's two weeks before Christmas. I mean, I'm starting to get this routine pretty well down pat. Um, we got to get out before Christmas because everybody wants to be home for Christmas. So let's kick it two weeks, which is the 21st, the Friday before Christmas, and then we'll get out because people will probably pass another CR and kick it until February or March and push it into the new Congress. Now, I don't know that's going to happen, but I've read the book now for eight years, and uh, I feel pretty confident that's probably what will happen. 
Um, what do you expect to be in the eventual uh, bill that is signed as we kicked it two weeks down the road? Uh, you know, and obviously my most, the, the biggest concern, and the president, of course, has talked about government shutdowns over it, is getting the funding for the wall. Uh, at least the five a mil, a billion, and we know that uh, 1.6 is what has been offered by the, uh, the House thus far. Where are we going to head with that? Well, remember, here's what normally happens, and a lot of people don't realize this. If there is, uh, you know, this is a spending year that goes through the end of September, and let's assume there's $2, million, $2 trillion left to be spent between now and the end of September. We'll divide uh, that amount up between now and, and whatever uh, whatever amount we extend it to, and that will be the CR. So it'll, uh, and then when we go to the wall funding, we'll put enough funding in there uh, to allocate it between now and next September. But remember, when this CR comes forward, if they don't, if, if there isn't a full funding bill passed all the way through September, it doesn't matter what number you put in for the wall, because if you only kick it to February, which a lot of people don't realize, then in February that Congress uh, can decide what stays or what goes, or even if the wall funding stays. So, um, it, I do believe what will happen is we'll put enough in for the wall to make it look like everyone wants to push toward the wall. But Nancy Pelosi's already come out and said she doesn't support wall funding. So uh, come February or March, she'll be able to boot this thing right back out. Yeah, and uh, and I guess that's why on <clears throat> excuse me on uh, Wednesday, Senator four senators Cruz, Inhofe, uh, Rounds, and Kennedy introduced a bill on that side. Uh, to fully fund it, the twenty-five, not the five billion, but the twenty-five billion that it is estimated to cost to uh, to bring this thing to completion. That specifically identifies funding sources for that wall, and they want to get that thing done obviously before Nancy Pelosi takes over. What what do you think the chances are that that would get through the House? Well, again, remember all spending bills start in the House, so any anything that's done in the Senate is just a gimmick for the senators to push a bill forward. So. Um, that, well, I know they. I know they have uh, to originate in the House, but but tell me how that works. You've got these four Republican senators who are saying we are proposing this. Is that basically their their signal to you guys? This is what we want to do on our side. Get it done on your side and send it to us. Well, that, that, yeah. So four out of a hundred are signaling that needs to be done. But what right. what will happen? This is why I continue to say the House should just do its job. And and I put this in a press release. Uh, the House just needs to do its job pass a bill, fund the wall, and send it to the Senate. What's going on right now is that the House is sitting there, and the Senate leadership and the House leadership are just following back and forth and determining what they can get done. This is the way the system works, which is one of the reasons I've been so frustrated in Washington, because the the House has their job. Do your job. Pass a bill. Send it to the Senate. And I know Jim Jordan talks about that all the time, too. If you do your job, then then you, you'll get it reelected. But the problem is nobody wants to pass that that's not going to get approved by the Senate. So we're, there's, there's just jockeying going on. And you saw that the uh, Pelosi and uh, Schumer are going to the White House next week. And the leadership will agree to something. They'll walk back in the room and they'll say, okay, guys, here's what we need to pass because here's the only thing the House and the Senate will pass. And that's, uh, that's the way the system works. Yeah, and that's very unfortunate because that's, you know, that is, that is not what we expected, uh, to happen while we still had control of both houses of, uh, 
of Congress and the White House. We expected much, much more to get done before the Democrats take over, and here it is. Uh, let's pivot to the uh, Farm Bill, if I can, uh, because uh, this thing is going to be, uh, what, passed and, and, and finished by next week. And from what I understand, uh, one of the big issues in it that has a lot of conservative-minded people, myself included, disappointed, is the fact that SNAP, uh, the supplemental nutrition uh, 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 part of that, uh, is is not going to be, or they're going to be dropping work requirements. We have massive numbers of jobs available in this country and all kinds of workers, and uh, yet we're going to tell people you do not have to actually contribute anything to your communities in order to receive that, uh, you know, those food stamps and supplemental nutrition packages. Well, Bob, here's a perfect example of where the House did what it should do. We passed the bill. It included work requirements. Um, and it went over the Senate. It's now been sitting over the Senate. And, of course, when I was running against Sherrod Brown, this was part of our debate discussion. Sherrod Brown used to say, well, the House passed a bill that will never pass the Senate, and we have a bill over there that had 82 votes. The problem is it had 82 votes because it didn't have work requirements. Right. Um, And that's the – yeah, and that's the – for them, that's why how they got their 82 votes. There were 18 senators who said no way. Those were – you know, your cruises and those who, who don't agree with not having the work, that wanted the work requirements in there. So in the end, um, they took our bill, they stripped out the work requirements, they'll send it back to the House, and guess what? We're two weeks away from Christmas, um, and the House will end up passing it, in my opinion, by um, all the Democrats supporting it, and, you know, 40 or 50 Republicans supporting it, and life moves on, and we'll have a farm bill that and with a snap program that does not include work requirements and it's and it's the president so will sign it because the president is desperate to get a farm bill passed he's he, he continues to talk about the farmers now we're not going to let you down and so on he's willing to sacrifice that part of this exactly and and uh, and we'll move forward and talk about it another day that it has to be done again <clears throat> the reasons it's funny i was on a call right before i got on this call with somebody and i was telling them that that the problem in Washington is we keep electing the same people. We do it every two years and every six years, and we put the same people in, and then we get frustrated with the results. But the answer is, as I've said, quit electing the same people. We're going to allow the same thing to happen. Yeah, that is uh, that has been a continuing problem, no question about it. And I don't know when we're going to wake up. Uh, of course, a lot of us sounded the alarm over the last couple of elections to wake people up, but uh, it it is what it is. Uh, let's. Uh, I just wanted to ask you this too um, about Lordstown and about GM. I understand that you did uh, meet with the CEO of GM to talk about uh, what's going on there with the fact that they are discontinuing cars that are co- uh, causing the shuttering of plants here in the state of Ohio. We know what that's going to do to a lot of people's jobs and about what it's going to do to the economies in some of our towns and really of the entire state. What'd you learn when you talked to the CEO? Well, again, the CEO came in and talked about how they are not, you know, GM to be competitive has to uh, eliminate and and uh, become more productive. The problem, and I told her, and I was one who spoke up in the meeting, most people were asking, well, what can we do in Lordstown? We're past that. We're past that. You could see in, in her discussion that Lordstown, the only thing stopping it from being shut down and closed is that they have an agreement with the union that they have to work through in the next two years. But but when you when you lay off all these people, you're not going to retool the place. And they're already retooling Mexico. So my my discussions with her in front of everybody were, look, eight years ago you went through a government-sponsored bankruptcy. The government funded you money, 
and did this sham bankruptcy that basically eliminated a pension for for retirees down in uh, Delco Del uh, Delphi, and then also eliminated 126 dealerships in Ohio and cost Ohio 6,000 jobs in the dealerships. Plus, it, it downsized Twinsburg and Mansfield, another 3,000 jobs. So almost 10,000 jobs were eliminated in 2008. You took money. $50 billion, now, dollars, wasn't it? Wasn't it $50 billion in right, bailout funds? Six, yeah. Yeah, right. And now you're going to move to Mexico. You're going you're to increase production in Mexico. And her only answer to me was, well, we've incre- increased production um, in Indiana. And she started naming other states. And I said, so tell me why you're leaving Ohio. And, again, that's the other problem we have. Ohio um, appears not to be competitive enough for General Motors to reinvest. But my biggest concern really was you took the money, and now you're increasing production in Mexico. And our only answer was, well, Congressman, we've also increased production in other states. Um, It's still sad when we're allowing General Motors to go through that sham because here's the problem, Bob. We A pure bankruptcy would have eliminated all these issues. It would have forced General Motors to be leaner and meaner and cleaner eight years ago. Instead, we did a government-subsidized bankruptcy, allowed them just to do a couple things and then come back into production, and 10 years later, we're paying for it again. That's why I, again, blame these politicians eight years ago that supported a government-subsidized bankruptcy and then turned around and allowed funding to go to General Motors, only to get hit in the head 10 years later. Congressman Jim Renacci is our guest on this Friday. Congressman, before you go, last thing, let's talk about something positive for a change here, and that is uh, just a wonderful honor that you have helped spearhead, and that is the uh, Congressional Gold Medal for, uh, for Larry Doby. Well, yes, and that was a work of labor with a Democrat, Bill Pascrell, in, uh, in New Jersey. Look, uh, Doby was one of those individuals who really, uh, you know, was Cleveland Indian, as many know him, but he also was a war hero. He was someone who went through uh, so much that the same things that Jackie Robinson went through, but the problem was he ended up going into the major leagues a couple weeks after Jackie Robinson and never had the accolades that Jackie Robinson had. So um, I had been working on this for four years. I was so happy, uh, you know, and as you, as you know, in, in Washington, if you don't get it done in the House in two years, you've got to redo it, um, which we did this year, and we worked very hard uh, to get it done. And, and Senator Portman has just been so helpful to make sure we got this finalized this year. So uh, that bill should be signed by the uh, president, hopefully before the end of the year, and become law where we can honor uh, not only a Cleveland Indian, but really... Um, an individual who is is someone who uh, really uh, needs that, you know, should have had that honor many, many, many years ago. When you look at those who get that Congressional Medal honor, this individual, uh, Larry Doby, is somebody who should have had it uh, many, many years ago. Completely agree. And you're right. Nobody really talks about his story. There's no movies made about Larry Doby's struggles uh, uh, with the racism he endured when he broke into the uh, major leagues as well. Because, as you said, two weeks earlier, Jackie Robinson had done it, and so that was the uh, uh, that was the storyline. Uh, so a wonderful honor for Larry Doby. And really, I know everybody who um, understands the story appreciates you uh, and your uh, Democratic colleague, uh, Congressman Pascrell, for, uh, for spearheading that entire thing. Congressman, uh, always a pleasure chatting with you. I look forward to catching up with you again next week, sir. Thank you so much. 
Well, we'll do that, and and uh, we'll try and turn it on a positive note. But when you're talking about Congress, sometimes it's difficult to do that. You aren't kidding. We found out over the course of the last couple of years talking together. Congressman, thanks so much. Have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you. You, you got too. it. There's Congressman Jim Renacci on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 952. We'll get a quick check of our traffic here. We'll come back. We're going to have open phone lines the rest of the way. That means uh, free-for-all Friday. Anything you want to talk about, Pearl Harbor, as we started the program today, or any of the uh, news uh, news of the day. All of that coming up right here on AM 1420 The Answer. Wind was blowing, time stood still. Eagle flew out of the night. Bye. Nine fifty six now. The Bob France Authority continues on AM 1420. The answer. We've got a short segment here. Second hour, we are going to be wide open for your phone calls uh, to talk about anything that's in the news that is uh, on your mind. And I, I want to hit something different now. Again, uh, thanks to Congressman Renacci for talking about some uh, really important stuff with us. We've talked a lot about Pearl Harbor in the first half hour of the program as well, uh, paying tribute to those 77 years ago today. 77 years. And it is a day that still lives in infamy, and hopefully one that will live in the memories of uh, all of us, even if we didn't live through it through our study. But I want to pivot uh, for just a moment here and uh, hit the Kevin Hart story. Perhaps you've heard this already today. Kevin Hart, uh, the uh, entertainer, comedian, uh, uh, just you know, wildly popular movie star as well. Uh, he was going to host the Oscars. And I actually had some hope for that, because Jimmy Kimmel wasn't going to be hosting it for a change. Kimmel has hosted it twice in a row now, and of course turns it into a Trump roast every single time. Uh, Kevin Hart, who is also very liberal, he's a Hollywood you know, star, so it kind of goes without saying, 99% of them are liberal, but... He, a, he's funny, whereas Kimmel and others are not. And B, I don't think he would go as hardcore political as a late-night talk show host like Jimmy Kimmel would. So I was excited that Kevin Hart was going to be the host of the Oscars. Maybe something we could stomach in an award show for a change. But alas, there will be no Kevin Hart Oscars. He was named to do the job on Tuesday, but now Kevin Hart says he's not going to do it after all. He posted the news on Twitter, saying he was stepping down following an outcry over anti-gay tweets he made in the past. Hart also included an apology to the LGBTQ community for those words and said he was giving up the hosting job so he wouldn't be a distraction on a night that should be celebrated by so many talented artists. It follows an Instagram post yesterday in which he said he wasn't going to let the craziness frustrate him. Well, he may not have let the craziness frustrate him, but he let it drive him from the gig. And so now we're probably going to be subjected to another Kimmel or a Colbert or somebody like that who can take their liberal politics show and put it on stage for the world to see at the Academy Awards. Uh, in case you're wondering about Kevin Hart, yeah, back in 2010, somewhere in that neighborhood, he tweeted some, some lines, some gay jokes, basically, which were part of a stand-up routine. And, uh, you know, at the time, again, it was like, oh, you know, it was, it was funny, but it was, you know, hey, a little bit in bad taste, but it's no big deal, you know, and he did say he's, he apologized several times for it since then, by the way, because of, uh, you know, the, the recent developments in this country and everybody has to apologize for every single thing that they've done wrong. But now what we're finding out is that apologizing for things you've done wrong in the past isn't enough anymore. You can't have a job. You are, once you have done something or said something, in America there is no such thing as forgiveness anymore. And in America there is no such thing as redemption anymore. Now you must pay for that crime forever. 
If you've ever told a gay joke, you are a homophobe forever. He could donate $5 billion to some LBGTQABCYLMNOSOP organization, and he would still be a homophobe because of something he said before. No forgiveness, not in the world, run by the PPO. The party of perpetual outrage. You know, I always refer to that from the, from the politics side as the party. The Democrat party is the party of perpetual outrage. I think I may have to coin another phrase. I might have to coin another phrase. I might have to call it the hashtag POS. And no, it doesn't mean what you think it does, although it's pretty doggone apropos. We're talking about perpetually outraged society. And yes, if you are a POS, you are responsible for things like this, like Kevin Hart tweeting some things that are intended to be funny because he's a comedian, and comedians make fun of people, all kinds of people, for all kinds of reasons. And now he can't host the Oscars. Why? Because of you, the POS, perpetually outraged of society. Second hour coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.